which presents news and current affairs um, and showcases the ingenuity of people from the African diaspora uh, in the UK and around the world. So today we're talking about a subject that's really, really important to me. Um, we're talking about neurodiversity. So for our sixth episode, um, we are talking about neurodiversity support and mentoring. And I'm speaking to someone that I know, uh, Brenda Biko, who does a lot of work in the area. And she founded Apparent Pathways, which is an organization that supports parents who are raising children and young people uh, that are not just neurodiverse but also with other challenges and uh, difficulties so welcome Brenda thank uh, you so nice much. to have you on the sofa thank you for having me yeah so and also it's kind of um, the organization it is it's all about empowering yes. isn't it yeah. yeah. So as a parent mentor, um, my role is really to empower parents, mm. um, really to feel confident and establish a sense of agency and control whilst they navigate through the procedural challenges as they advocate for their child. Wonderful. Because I could just see you, you get a diagnosis and it's it must be like a minefield. There's so many different things and you don't quite know and it's completely new to you because parents are, are doing it it for the first times in many cases aren't they yeah it, it's a it's a new experience um it's something that you find yourself in and just navigating um the day-to-day -day well the day-to-day -day processes and the experiences it's not a straight line for many for some it can be but for others um yeah, there's a lot of challenges and setbacks and obstacles in trying to ensure that your child, if they have a condition, mm -hmm. um, whether that's autism, ADHD, um, that impacts their education, yeah, trying to actually find support and services to um, allow them to feel supported whilst they um, engage in their education can be not as straightforward as some people may think. Yeah. Okay. So Brenda has been uh, working with families and children within their communities for um, a decade in a variety of roles. Um, as an independent advocate, um, you've been supporting children, young people and their families as part of child protection proceedings. Uh, you've been working with local authorities, family, service teams um, and as an intervention specialist. Okay, brilliant. Sounds really interesting. I really want to know a lot more about that. Um, and also you're a, a psychology postgraduate um, and you've got a lot of um, awarding ontological experience um, as a fellow parent. And also that allows, you know, your professional background and your education and being a fellow parent um, just, I think, is gives you a bit of an edge, doesn't it? Because... A lot of people um, that I've dealt with haven't had first-hand experience in many cases. Definitely. I mean, you've described it really well. So as a parent, it's definitely that lived experience mm -hmm. of actually something that's really close to your heart. Um, guiding your child through that process mm -hmm. and then as a professional coming from that perspective mm -hmm. and then obviously engaging with the systems and processes so yeah it comes from looking with 
all they looking through all those perspective perspectives and then also like implementing my you know academic background so yeah it's a perfect opportunity really to bring them all together to sort of look at what the current situation is and provide tools to be able to support other parents to move through them brilliant thank you Okay, brilliant. That's such a wonderful introduction. So I really look forward to really getting into kind of navigating, getting into labelling and uh, talking more about the service that you provide as the the episode goes on. So, um, and also doing our icebreaker when we come back. Okay, welcome back. So we're here with Brenda Biko, founder of Apparent Pathway um, and our our topic for today is neurodiversity support and mentoring uh, and Brenda is a parent mentor so time for the icebreaker are you ready yeah right so mm, what is your favorite medium be it film television music art radio um, and what are your favorite three offerings in that medium Sorry to be complicated. Oh but... no! <laughs> I knew it. Go on. The the, re- the reason is I find it really difficult to have three of one particular medium. So yeah. if you don't mind, I like to like mix and match it. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, films. I'm I'm not a huge film fan, mm-hmm. but I'd say my first favorite film is Bugsy Malone. Oh really? Yeah. You know what? My other half actually loves that film, and he yeah. was in the School Musical, so oh. he sings the songs all the time. Yeah, I mean that, that. Well, that's the thing. It's got that. It's really joyful. Yeah. It's um, I mean, what I love about it is yeah. like my five-year-old self um would be just loves the fact that there are the kids um that there. There's a lot of adversity in there, yeah, and like yeah, the yeah. characters yeah. going from something that you wouldn't expect, like such as a you know blousey, and then you've got like baby face. They're like the underdogs, yeah. and then all of a sudden they like you know they. Have if you want to be a boxer. <laughs> oh, definitely. My Christmas favourite. So, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I I love Bugsy Malone. So, oh, amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah. my name is Tallulah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know all the lyrics, but I remember those lines. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so you've got a musical. That's great. And with kids in it as well. That's brilliant. Yeah. And what's your others? What's your second? So, the second one, um, I mean, I thought maybe... Uh, TV documentaries. Okay. So, um, second one I would say is I can I find it difficult pronouncing his name, but David Alalu. Uh, Olusoga, Olusoga is it? Is it Olusoga? Olusoga? Yes. Like that, yeah. Um, a house well, through time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that documentary on Which the BBC. Is a house through time? Oh yeah. Yes. I I I mean it, I I think there's only about four seasons, but yeah, when yeah. that comes on, it's like oh, it's like Christmas. I'm like I love the whole like you know the house stays the same yeah. and then people through through the times the different people that live then they, they don't know each other mm. and they all have different backgrounds but yet the house stays the same yeah. so I, I yeah I love I love that oh that's brilliant I yeah. actually haven't seen that I've seen a lot of his um documentaries and I've, I've got a couple of titles by him books mm. but I haven't seen that mm. so that's something that I've got to check out I'll add that to my list my list is ever growing, but this sounds very interesting because <laughs> I've seen the one where it's not it, the one where they recreate a household in the past. Oh yeah, oh I like that. As yeah, well. do you like yes, that as yeah, well? Because yeah, I've yeah. seen that yeah, one. Yeah, and when no, you first really said good. it, I thought, oh, is it that one? And then it was obvious that it wasn't, and it was that you know it was actual real people 
is it? Yeah, so it's going oh. through like this, the historical census of the, of, of the house. So the house oh, stays wow. the same. So there's ones where, you know, the house, you go through the blitz and yeah, it goes yeah. through so many several wars. Uh-huh. And then you've got, you know, people from the different eras, uh-huh. um, you know, what their roles were. And oh. it's, yeah, it's just so interesting. And then it brings it to the present day. And yeah, then yeah. it just, yeah, just so much to think about. In terms oh, of wow. So, That's a really interesting yeah. one. It's quite different from some of the other stuff that we've had in the past um that's interesting oh wow I'll, oh i'll check that out and what's your third um yeah the third i, I do like who do you think you are i uh, love that yeah, show yeah. oh my god don't leave me hanging <laughs> i love that show i love it i yes. love that show oh yeah no definitely i just i just think it's amazing and like even to have the opportunity to yeah. do that and um yeah and the, like yeah the whole the whole fact that you don't know you know what what it can be and yeah, then you've yeah, got yeah. your assumptions of yeah, like yeah 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 you know, of what your ancestors yeah. actually were like or yeah. what they did yeah, yeah oh brilliant know, yeah. i watched the one that was on the other night and with ed balls did you watch that one no i saw the oh the female presenter that went back to jamaica i can't but then mind you i did watch it on um i play so it's probably not oh yeah 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 yet, yeah oh i'm trying to is she the football pundit yeah, lady? Yeah, yeah, I can't, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't remember, remember her name. name. I'm so sorry. Alex something. But yeah, yeah, I think so. She's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because I read about that because it, it, she was connected to um, slave owners. I think was it yes, that one? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, yeah definitely. Yeah. And yeah. she had like a you know, on then the other side had a Jewish background from the West End. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. So I, I I've yeah. started watching that one actually. I'm going to go back to it. Mm. But um, no, that's interesting. It's interesting mm. that you had. Did you have two factual? Yeah. Two ones, documentaries. Two yeah, documentaries. Yeah. I actually love documentaries. Yeah. As well, and mm. I like kind of being part of creating something like that, and also watching. And then your remind me of your first one again. Uh, Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Oh, Bugsy Malone. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everyone needs a yeah. bit of Bugsy Malone, yeah. especially at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Topical. Love it. Okay, so we're going to go to our break, and when, then when we come back, we're going to talk about neurodiverse versus um, SEND, so special educational needs and disabilities. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So we can get that. Welcome back to our sixth episode, Neurodiversity, Support and Mentoring. And um, we're going to start. So uh, so we're going to talk about Neurodiverse versus SEND, which is Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. Okay, so what do you prefer? Or what do you find that... More importantly, what do you find that your clients and their children prefer? I mean, with both particular description, um, I think at times there's not necessarily a preference, but what is understood. So, for example, like neurodiverse is um, that allows people to focus on what the actual challenge is and what that lived experience is of that individual. So we know that it's around... Um, their ability, their different, their their abilities to function in terms of how their brain functions. Whereas special educational needs and disabilities refers to um, 
a particular individual having a disability so within the disability community you know disabilities come in all forms physical um hidden disability is another word Mm. that another phrase that can be used for um diverse um neurodiverse so neurodiverse is more specific however special educational needs i would describe as a parent is a term that you you adopt so it's like a system term isn't it yes it's like one that that applies to being in the institution yes yeah and that's how it's recognized because if you say special educational needs Mm -hmm. then everyone knows what's that what what's that Mm. what that is about Mm -mm. what is expected what Mm. does it mean what is required so it's like from when the moment so myself as a parent that's raised um, a young person that has um, neurodiversity and Mm. other other conditions um, when when those conditions are identified it's like you fall into a system and then from there you get those terms and you're known as specifically perhaps someone under special educational needs register Mm -hmm. or someone that is on the path to having a educational healthcare plan um so all these labels link um in a parent pathway i tend to say individual needs and differences because um each person is unique yeah and i feel i feel like i feel that you know neurodiverse and obviously there's lots of different disabilities that aren't neurodiverse don't come under that kind of term or description but I think that definitely neurodiverse is a step closer to individual um, understanding the individual so um, you know you're, you're kind of putting the onus on that they think differently rather than they have a disability in a way yeah so it directs the focus in terms of how they see the world Mm. so neurodiverse um individuals may have for example adhd Mm -hmm. um dyslexia autism Mm -hmm. so it provides an understanding that the way they function is in relation to how they see the world Mm -hmm. because um then on the other side, people refer to others as neurotypical. Mm-hmm. So it's that hate, that age old argument mm-hmm. of, you know, equity and equality. Mm-hmm. So when seen by the majority, mm-hmm. you've got the neurotypical and then mm-hmm. you've got the neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. And also recognizing that as individuals, we can see the same thing differently. Mm-hmm. And what is good about that is that there are learning styles that can work together mm-hmm. um, rather than being seen separately as yeah. have requiring a special education. educational need so, yeah yeah so with the and, and yeah. also sorry brenda but also i i just feel a little bit like you know having worked in education i feel that you know special educational needs and disabilities unfortunately sometimes it becomes okay well that model has suited this child who also displays symptoms of this difference or difficulty so i can adapt and use this method with that's the other child and all the children in the class that have this diagnosis i can use this way and and it 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 it, it again becomes a bit uniform at times i i don't know what your experience has been 
Yeah, it can be challenging. So, for example, if the choice is for a young person to be in a mainstream setting, Mm. so the majority is deemed as neurotypical, Mm -hmm. so then you've got the neurodiverse. In terms of teachings, there are policies and even the the constructs of like the school Mm -hmm. so you've got like you know assemblies you've got classrooms you've got rules things that need to be followed Mm -hmm. and some of those things come with challenges for an individual that may Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. like an like neurodiversity and approaching their uh, well supporting them to engage Mm -hmm. in things Mm -hmm. can be done differently but if it's there are different ways of doing that Mm -hmm. then it becomes more inclusive Mm -hmm. so my experience would be that when raising my son what I found is that it was dependent on the teacher Mm -hmm. so you've got some teachers that um, use a particular learning style Mm -hmm. and what you find is it's quite engaging and inclusive to everyone Mm -hmm. and that's really their approach Mm -hmm. and you'd find you know everyone enjoys it but then yeah so mm. yeah so it's so it's teaching style isn't it it's their teaching style it's it's a teaching style but where it gets difficult is that if a school as a whole has a particular way of doing things yeah that you may have a particular teacher Mm -hmm. that has a teaching style that is is different but yet if they have another subject Mm -hmm. um you know their style will be different so then it's it may be it things the experience for the young person is up and down yeah. so it's not consistent and there is an expectation at times to behave in a consistent way yeah yeah, yeah no i like um i've not mentioned this but i'm dyslexic so you know i've got a a, a learning difficulty or a special educational need and disability um and i'm neurodiverse so um so I completely get that because there were some teachers that it, I had nothing personal against them, but the way that they taught me just did not click with my brain at all. Yeah. Um. Like, and then there were other teachers which who were amazing and who really brought the subjects to life. So yeah. is there a particular kind of le- kind of learning style or teaching style? that that neurodiverse individuals click with or are they actually all different so for example when I was teaching we learned about kinesthetic learning visual aural uh what else was there gosh it was a while um but they're all all these different ways of teaching uh, and we 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 were encouraged to learn about the learning styles of the individuals in our class so that we can make lessons kind of interactive, more engaging. But I would I would guess that that maybe in mainstream and this is no discredit to the teachers, it's an extra challenge to kind of do that in mainstream education, certainly in secondary school, no? I mean I can't necessarily say that across the board, but I guess it's that's why it's such a unique situation because mm. every individual is different. Yeah. So, for example, one person that has autism will be different from another. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. It, so one will relate to one learning style, and another would not relate to the same learning style and prefer a completely different learning style. Yeah. There's yeah. just it's one of those things where there's just so many different factors to yeah. consider. Yeah. But um, I guess. 
because it's, it's interesting that you mentioned about that because we did actually share the mm-hmm. same education yeah because we did yeah we, we went to the same school yeah we did um and myself as an adult mm-hmm. um was diagnosed with adhd yeah so and actually ironically recently there was a lot of parents like um known in the mainstream like celebrities that are now coming out saying that they have diagnosis as adults so oh, wow. there was yeah, a recent I was diagnosed as an adult as well yeah and yeah, yeah and then through how old were you I oh as an adult I yeah. was what when I was diagnosed with ADHD yeah. I was probably in my mid-30s wow so the reason that I was actually uh so when my son was diagnosed mm. with autism and ADHD mm. It was just really interesting as I was um, getting information from mm-hmm. support groups, from consultants. And then when I was looking at the situation and I recognising that that was actually quite familiar. Mm-hmm. So then it just made me curious to mm-hmm. actually look into having a diagnosis. And then there was a realisation that actually, yeah, mm-hmm. I myself has, you know, also have mm-hmm. um, a condition. But like you were saying before... Mm-hmm. In our education, mm-hmm. many decades ago, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't something that was even acknowledged or even identified. And even looking back, I I can't even imagine where that would have happened. No. So. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, in I think, I think that the kind of standards were quite high, and it was assumed that that everyone with a bit of an effort could kind of access the work. Because I don't even remember, because when I was teaching, I remember you had to differentiate and, you know, you, w- you would take account of the challenges that some people face and you differentiate and perhaps give a, a different tool to one of the students or another student to help them access the work, whether it was yellow paper, whether it was something kinesthetic that they could use. Um, whether it was note paper or extra or, or the slides um, but when I was at school and when we were at school can you imagine one of our teachers giving us an extra resource yeah no there was a I mean I mean well I guess that there was a lot of conformity yeah and I think what is recognized also is that with conditions such as like autism Mm. there is masking so Mm. what you find is that individuals will mask their challenges and they won't actually let um, people know that they are they'll just conform to what's what's happening yeah and I think the really good thing about um, and there's still a lot to you know continue with is the awareness I think now because there is more awareness about conditions such as autism and ADHD mm-hmm. it allows parents to um, sort of question things and ask about things and inquire mm-hmm. and there isn't a stigma or anything like that mm-hmm. um, because obviously before my son was diagnosed mm-hmm. like I, I was actually quite shocked when I thought about it that I don't actually know much about it other than what was perceived in mainstream yeah. media. So, for example, from my understanding of ADHD, the, the discussions were just basically about ADHD, people that have ADHD, um, their destiny is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I they, think there's the know. assumption that people with ADHD are, are extremely badly behaved. Yeah, that well, that well, that's the thing. It, when 
conditions go unrecognized Mm -hmm. what happens is the behaviors just manifest Mm -hmm. over a period of time Mm -hmm. so for parents that's really difficult because Mm -hmm. you can observe and you can see that your child is going for long periods without support Mm -hmm. and then you're identifying their lagging skills Mm -hmm. um, you're identifying their frustrations Mm -hmm. to try to actually engage they're doing as much as they can but they don't necessarily first understand why or 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 know what to ask for Mm -hmm. in terms of support. Mm -hmm. So when parents start initiating the process based on what they're observing, Mm -hmm. it allows things to move, um, but the journey is not as easy. Yeah, and also I think, um, you know, we're talking, we talked a little bit about labels, um, although we didn't really get into it very deeply, I don't think, but I just think, being transparent is so helpful, especially with young people, because young people are fine. It's the adults that have the, the issues. Young people are absolutely fine with with knowing that a classmate ha- is autistic when they know what it is. Yeah. You know, the, the children are absolutely fine with it. Yeah. I mean, it does depend in terms of people's beliefs. Yeah. So in terms of families' beliefs, society's Mm -hmm, beliefs mm -hmm. and understanding, um, you know, it comes with judgments, expectations and assumptions Mm -hmm. based on lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that now people are more open to to talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is what the situation is. Mm -hmm. What can we do about it? But there are still you know, parents that even though they are, they can recognise, mm. but they don't want to attach a label to it. Mm. They don't want to go down that route. Do you think they labels are helpful? For some parents, they are helpful mm-hmm. because the label provides an understanding of what should actually happen, where mm-hmm. things can go and what, mm-hmm. what needs to happen. But for others, it does come with discrimination. It, it does stigma. come with a lot of judgment. And which doesn't necessarily belong to the child, but it can be from, um, you know, extended family, like communities. Um, it can be, you know, parents have to actually deal with these narratives within society um, about, you know, say, for example, autistic children, um, you know, this, this is how their behaviour manifests and it's causing problems and, you know, ADHD, um, you know, an assumption about violence and aggressive behavior and it's and when it's put in that context then there is for some parents um that actually that it gives that uncomfortable feeling of actually saying that yes this is what the situation is because they've taken on board all these assumptions yeah, yeah. and also i think you know sometimes it, it can and it, obviously what you said explains that as well and takes into account of this but also cultural things so um you know cultural stigmas um or or ways of 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 or kind of ways of perceiving uh young people children or even adults with a difficulty or a challenge um you know culturally obviously we know about mainstream culture in the uk but also culturally from um, you know different kind of um, cultures and backgrounds I I remember you know working with um, a, a, a parent who just would not would not have the label kept it really secret didn't even tell me that their child had a 
diagnosis on first meeting them until I'd um, noticed myself and said, actually. And they said, oh, yes, 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 but we don't like to tell people. Mm. And for me, it was apparent that it was actually also um, a cultural mm. um, uh, idea idea or, st- or, or stigma Mm. Uh, that 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 they that they had amongst their community yeah yeah no that's definitely um the experience that i've had um Mm. what you find in different communities and community groups that Mm. they based on our condition is perceived some believe that you know that they they could be possessed or there's some Mm. you know there's a there's, you know, there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be um, seen, that mm-hmm. they should be, um, yeah, not seen or let's not talk about. Well, there's um, some that shame can... associated. Yeah, yeah. shame. And then to be able to feel empowered because with that, what what that can do is actually restrict the support that mm-hmm. that young person, as you said, that young person can access. Mm-hmm. And if a parent choose to actually respond in that way, mm-hmm. there are missed opportunities and possibilities for the child to thrive and I think with the work that I do it's really um, supporting parents to recognize the impact that these you know like these beliefs um, may have and and then be able to make an informed decision how they want to actually approach that and the impact that it has on them and the impact that it has on their child but Every parent has the choice to um, parent how they wish. And there are parents that choose not to associate a label or attach a label to their child's condition mm-hmm. and still support them to navigate through um, through the procedures and the mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. the educational system. Um, so it is a personal choice. Yeah. But when it gets difficult and it gets challenging, um, it does help to look into how yeah. that impacts because labels can be helpful and they can be a hindrance can't they yeah no yeah. no definitely they, they they can and also associating yourself to those labels because that's not something that you would give yourself mm-hmm. so um i mean even the language used like from when my son was diagnosed like 12 years ago mm-hmm. the terms that we use then are no longer used now mm-hmm. and when you talk about special educational needs and disabilities mm-hmm. there are some people parents families that don't want to use that word the second that you use that word yeah then i mean there's reluctant. a lot of kind of there's a lot i mean using the word special mm. i mean there's a lot of kind of connotations and yeah. and kind of mocking mockery yeah. that revolve around using the term special yeah. to describe an individual or, or or the needs that an individual has yeah there's a lot of words i mean special just really it it, it is what's used because mm. when you say special you know educational needs and they're mm. like right i know what you're talking mm. about but at the same time you know who gave that word yeah and words do evolve over time mm. so you know things will change um but it you know it's with with many labels um and i guess yeah it's attaching yourself to those particular labels and mm. taking them on as as your own yeah but then within the system having to use those labels does become challenging thank you so we'll come back to talk about our second part which about support and navigating those systems which is what you just
So we're back with Brenda Biko, founder of Apparent Pathway. And we're talking about neurodiversity, support and mentoring. So we're on our second section and we are talking about support and navigation. So support and navigation, that makes me think of policy, makes me think of money. Mm. Yeah. So how much money have they got? No, I'm only joking. Tell me, tell me. So what kind of problems are, you know, have you experienced, um, you know, in your professional role? around you know support and navigating uh, the policy that's in place i mean it's no um secret with most things within like say healthcare and things mm-hmm. like that it's mm-hmm. all around the budgets mm-hmm. and that's what the challenge is so there are statistics that show that the the diagnosis of young people um with conditions is increasing Mm -hmm. and in terms of the provisions the support access to um you know schools um there's a lot of lack around that Mm -hmm. so with the increase of numbers um what's happening and the backlog i would imagine the backlog of diagnoses and people waiting because i'm just thinking you see an educational psychologist and over the last year you know two years now we've been dealing with this pandemic so i would imagine that there's quite the backlog yeah there always has been there's always been long waiting lists Mm -hmm. like you know the first hurdle is not necessarily just having a diagnosis Mm. and even getting a diagnosis that Mm. like my son it took many attempts Mm -hmm. because there are so many things like as a parent Mm -hmm. you alone cannot state Mm -hmm. that you know even if you go to your gp Mm -hmm. that you know that you believe this will be the case and then um provisions are provided to mm. you so it really does require input coming from the local authority from teachers to then even move to that that part mm. and then after that then it's ensuring that the right school is available and whether they have those provisions in place so a lot of um children require a legal document such mm. as an educational health care plan yeah and that really allows their condition to be monitored as they engage in their education mm-hmm. and it and it allows them to access you know schools resources um teaching assistance mm-hmm. so that they're able to um yeah build on their abilities and strengthen their weaknesses mm-hmm. but for many they don't actually get to that point and mm-hmm. that's where it's known for parents to fight mm-hmm. to have to spend thousands at tribunal mm-hmm. to even have their child's um, situation acknowledged and to even even like for example my my son he has he has the diagnosis he mm-hmm. has the education plan mm-hmm. but even still making sure that the service and access to the support is consistent and yeah. available is also a challenge so within the uk there's a postcode lottery Mm -hmm. depending on where you live you know what is available you can live in one borough and they won't have those facilities available Um, and you can live in another county or borough have a completely different experience Mm -hmm. so there's no consistency across the board Mm -hmm. and what happens is is that teachers and schools are using creative ways to really um compensate really for the lack of funding and that's where the frustration for parents and the young person comes mm-hmm. from. But, but I was, when I was thinking about before the show as well, um, is also, you know, the choice between 
and in some cases obviously it's not a choice uh, between mainstream and uh, you know specific um, schools that kind of um, have more resources perhaps um, to support um, children or learners with neuro uh, differences and challenges and disabilities I mean that must be part of the navigation as well right yeah so independent specialist schools mm. require funding mm. so you know funding can be from like forty five thousand a year mm. so that comes from the local authority and mm-hmm. before it even gets to that stage it has to be assessed mm-hmm. so for parents they have to actually um justify ensure that things are recognized and there is a bit of a fight and a lot of assessments that need to get to have to go through before it even gets to that stage mm-hmm. um and then once and even that's not even guaranteed itself. And these independent schools, there's not many of them available. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what happens is if a parent and a child chooses to stay within the mainstream school, then support to accommodate their challenges can be put in place. And that also requires funding too. Yeah. So, and who is kind of representing the parent? Who's fighting the parent's corner? Who's reading the documentation and filling the forms with them because I don't because I would imagine you know I have difficulty enough filling in you know your standard forms that I have to complete for you know just household things Uh, do you know what I mean I'm just trying to think of of you know the the actual forms that you have to fill and the paperwork that you have to do and manage and uh, you know when you have a child yeah um no you're yeah. definitely right i mean the paperwork is like immense in terms of like applying and then you've got to know dates and there's time scales so things don't happen immediately you know you can have 20 weeks and even before that you need to get authorization you need to even you have meetings like constant meetings and reviews just to even talk about the situation and then you have meetings where involves lots of consultants and they all consultants professionals occupational therapists educational psychologists and they all contribute their feedback and then you know as a parent um, it's just ensuring that you're there at those meetings, that you, you know, you've you've made your contributions to those particular reports because and then all you know that... your rights, right? Well, that's the thing because parents can fall into two categories. They can either be the one that shouts the loudest mm-hmm. and like, no, you will do this, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna, you know, really, you know, go at it at full force, mm-hmm. or you've got the ones that may be avoidant mm-hmm. the ones will be like you know i don't want to make you know noise yeah. or, you know they told me that this will happen i'll just wait and mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. and you know in some cases there is disappointment mm-hmm. because it does require like being involved in ensuring and connecting and guiding the process and mm-hmm. the parents role is really beneficial mm-hmm. because they are the consistent mm-hmm person within the whole process Mm -hmm. through the duration of the child's experience Mm -hmm. because teachers will come and go um schools will change professionals will leave so parents being you know that really important role is important but like you say it is a job that is burdensome Mm -hmm. it's not something that you're willing to ignore but it's not something that you know you really want to get on and do but you'll do it because that's your child and that is what is required and you know if you don't you don't know what the consequences are Mm -hmm. then the system decides what happens for your child Mm -hmm. and that's where you get difficulties such as exclusions and disempowered 
yeah, completely disempowered because then you feel that you've lost control because before you know it, you know, there's your child hasn't been receiving the support, their challenges manifest, their behaviours, you know, increase Mm -hmm. and, you know, the support starts to um, not be consistent. And then that's where, you know, exclusions happen Mm -hmm. and there's more of a chance of it going down that route when it's not supported and, you know, things are not um, on top, you know, on top of it. So, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so this leads us perfectly onto the next thing we're going to talk about, it doesn't it? Really, because we've talked about the difficulties, I think, of navigating the kind of endless paperwork, the meetings, the kind of being a driving force for things um, remaining consistent. And I think we also therefore need to talk about what you've been doing in in your professional life around uh, supporting parents with this kind of minefield. So when we come back, we'll be talking about mentoring specifically. Okay, so we're back. Uh, we've talked about uh, neurodiversity. We've talked about special educational needs and disabilities and labelling. Uh, we've talked about um, the paperwork and navigating that. And um, now we're going to talk about what you do uh, specifically and how it you. So, so did you have someone like you when you were going through it with your son? No, um, I mean, for most parents, you know, they probably had friends to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um myself it was i mean yeah other parents um just having someone on the phone to vent um Mm. and you know self-care is really important for parents because what you experience the emotional fatigue is a lot it takes it does take a toll as mentioned before the system doesn't actually support a parent's emotional well-being and the responsibility is is really on the parent Mm um so the service that i support parents with it does provide that safe space to be able to um, come together and sort of discuss what it is that they are experiencing and be able to gain some clarity of how to approach that Um, and through that what 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 parents find useful is that when they walk away is knowing that from having that support they're able to approach things in a way that they don't betray themselves because what you find is is that when parents actually approach things they may not say how they really feel they may not ask those right questions because in in the moments there's just so much um so much going on yeah and because what what I find is that parents are engaging in the process but they're not empowered Mm. and the same way they are actually searching for information Mm -hmm. but they still find themselves feeling lost yeah and they don't know you know like with anything like you talked about consultants earlier but i just feel when when you are dealing with professionals there are certain there's a language isn't there yeah there there are there are key terms there's a language that they will see and recognize um that will spark action or not and if a parent is sitting there engaging but struggling for words or what to say or or knowing how to give them the extra push yeah 
no definitely yeah. no because i mean you look i mean you go to the gp you only get like five minutes yeah five minutes to explain everything that you're experiencing and then you speak to a consultant that you know obviously comes with like abundance of information mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you're sitting in those meetings and you've got other things on your mind mm-hmm. and then you're trying to think what information do i take in what mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm, i take mm-hmm. in what do i need to, to then, communicate yeah, yeah to then go off and you yeah. know mention that um you know to add feedback to the process so that's where you know it helps to have clarity it's mm-hmm. like what's what and where because during the process in those meetings professionals mm-hmm. such as teachers mm-hmm. the local authority they have meetings prior to meeting mm-hmm. they they uh liaise with each other mm-hmm. they they've done it before with other parents mm-hmm. no child is the same and sometimes yeah. there is an assumption that you know i i you know I worked with Johnny and he had the same conditions mm, mm, so the mm, same mm, thing mm, needs to apply mm, for mm, you. Mm. So, you know, they, they're able to take that information yeah, and then bring it to the... Yeah, they've got a repertoire, yeah. Yes, whereas parents, they're just going in blind. Mm-hmm. They're going with the knowledge because I think nowadays there is a good support network and it is important mm-hmm. because when, for example, as, you know, we went to school together, mm. you know, if you told me, you know, what is autism, what, mm, what happens, mm, wouldn't know. So the second that you have that information, you're like, oh, what does it mean? Luckily, there's things like, you know, the internet and you can look up that information, but it does help. Um, and it can be, I would imagine, kind of relying solely on the internet. It's a bit like an information overload. And also it's tricky because you know, you're still, you're trying to work out what's a valid source, what should I, re, you know, what is my go-to source, what is useful, what is less useful, and there's that whole kind of deciding what to read and what to take in yeah, as well. Yeah. And, and um, excuse me, uh, and I would imagine that's quite a challenge because the lot, you know, that you get, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Well, that that's the thing. I mean, what I support parents with is to stay focused Mm -hmm. there's so many things there's got you know to understand what the different roles that people do what does an educational psychologist what is the consultant going to do what is a therapist going to do with Mm -hmm. your child Mm -hmm. to take that information and know all that information Mm -hmm. um and then there's the condition itself and it's like what information do you take to support you know your child so it does you know as you said it's mystifying how do you take all that information how do you approach it and how do you move forward when there's like challenges and things like that and it it is an isolating experience um so currently parents do have an option to have an advocate Mm -hmm. so an advocate to come with them in the meeting Mm -hmm. and that is really helpful because it provides some like moral support Mm -hmm. but there are moments where there isn't anyone around so Mm -hmm. that might be having an informal conversation with Mm -hmm. um the teacher at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and being clear about what it is that you want to communicate mm-hmm. and not losing yourself like losing yourself mm-hmm. in the moment feeling angry or mm-hmm. focusing mm-hmm. on things that are not as important yeah, and not brought and not painting the broader context but getting to the succinct points that you want to make yes exactly yeah. it helps parents to move through it a lot yeah. quicker and more effectively mm-hmm. and because I always use the analogy of like a pressure cooker mm-hmm. there's so many interactions where so where you deal with it for the short term Mm -hmm. and you're like right i've dealt with it i've dealt with it Mm -hmm. but over time it builds up Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with um 
you know, someone that's got a lifelong condition, mm -hmm. it's not just for a moment in time. So the long so, game, yeah. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you have to build that emotional endurance yeah. over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So constantly, you know, fighting, fighting and fires, saying yeah. is just such a really heavy energy place to be that doesn't necessarily... Um, it does it's got it pla it's place in some parts and it's understandable I've had to do that myself and but... like you say emotionally exhausting yes exactly yeah. and at the end of the day you know the parent is needed so to be able to navigate through that for the long term is what the support that I provide parents with so that they can actually go out there and respond in real time with the right information needed brilliant and so what is your feedback been like from parents it's, I mean, many parents, it's just the weight of their shoulder. It's mm -hmm. just just having that clarity of like, okay, now I see the direction that I need to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to deviate from what I want my child to mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. or how I wish to parent. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it does, you know, relieve some tension in that moment in time and also mm -hmm. build on their confidence mm -hmm. because for many parents, it's like not knowing what to ask or what mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. And even being able to have that space to even discuss it with someone that's been through it and understands it mm -hmm. um just allows them to feel that you know what they're not alone and yeah. um yeah and then and also the main thing is really to allow parents to bring the joy back into parenting yeah because a lot of proportion of that emotional worry is i mean let's face it it's got nothing to do with the parent or the child mm -hmm. it's other factors such as budgets the systems mm -hmm. and resources lack of resources mm -hmm. eligibility criteria so mm -hmm. yeah it's like and are you finding that you're connecting with them a lot because they might say oh this happened today with with um you know scarlet or whatever the, the individual's name is you know this happened today and uh, are you finding that you know you're having those oh yeah that's happened to me so many times moments kind of thing yes i get it completely kind of because uh, yeah. you know you we said earlier that you bring your kind of um your experience of personally having been a parent with a child mm. that is uh you know neurodiverse and mm. has kind of different challenges so are you finding that sometimes you you're a you know would you say your experience allows you to, to connect with the parents because you have been in their shoes and can relate and also ex have experienced some of the things that they tell you they're experiencing yeah no definitely I mean no experience is the same mm -hmm. but however the feelings are similar and yeah definitely it's a shared experience so mm -hmm. it's recognizing because us as parents you know we tend to see what others don't see yeah and sometimes when you're sort of like expressing mm -hmm. you know how you feel how you want things how you wish for things to be mm -hmm. sometimes it's like you know you think well, why are they not able to see that mm -hmm. and you know it, like I describe that as blind spots mm -hmm. it's like as a parent guiding that through your experience mm -hmm. and just guiding the process to support their child mm -hmm. so yeah, I think it's um, within the community of parents, we we have experienced similar things. And there is that, you know, people may say that, oh, you know, it's not as bad as you think. Oh, it can't be that bad. Or oh, I know such and such, this happened to him. All our experiences are different. So, you know, many times parents feel that their their feelings and their views are, are dimmed down mm. or overlooked, yeah. but they are valid. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel parents need to gain validation from other people. They know they know more than what they, you know, yeah. they give themselves it's credit for. It's that at least thing, isn't it? When you tell someone about an experience and they go, well, at least, da, 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 da. 
And it's yeah. kind of, you've just kind of cancelled what I've just said. Yeah. 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 Well, is, at least yeah. this is happening. Oh, yeah. well, this. Look yeah. on the bright side. This is happening. Yeah. yeah. That, that That is difficult to take in because, you know, when you actually experience it, mm-hmm. like, you know, people can hear things mm-hmm. and they can make assumptions. And mm-hmm. like even another parent that's got a similar situation, they mm-hmm. can see another parent probably l- looks to them that, oh, well, you know, Johnny's getting this. Why am I not getting that? And yeah. that all this adds to it clouds a parent's belief. Mm-hmm. Um but it comes with the experience and it's understandable. And I think parents do need um, to be, you know, I think an empathetic approach mm-hmm. is really important um, in supporting parents and also having some patience and then some understanding that definitely does help. Yeah. So do you, in your practice, do you ever have kind of, because obviously you're doing the, the mentoring, which is one-to-one or, or with the both parents in some cases or carers or guardians, um, but do you ever have moments where um, it's a group? Do you have any group situations where it might be a group of parents or, or what yeah, kind of thing? groups work. I mean, um, at the moment, I'm not doing any groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have um, some relatable content that I've put on YouTube mm-hmm. really for parents mm-hmm. if they can relate to that and if anything on there oh, that they wonderful. resonate. What is your YouTube actually? So it's a parent pathway. So oh, nice yeah. and easy. Yeah, parent <laughs> yeah, pathway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I've put some content on there that's like relatable and you know, not every parent has experienced mm-hmm. it, but it just really provides um, some insight for parents to look at the bigger picture mm-hmm. and sort of like um, be able to take, you know, what what resonates for them because it is it is individual. Um, but yeah, one to one support. Um, yeah, there is an option for for groups in the future mm-hmm. because yeah, having that you know those interactions with people that have been through it as well mm-hmm. is also adds and becomes empowering as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, oh brilliant! It sounds it all sounds really interesting and really va- valuable because um, you know I have a cousin oh i've got two co- i've got a cousin and a a second cousin that have autism and i know that you know my aunt had to really persistently kind of almost lobby the school and it was a great challenge so i just think you know if she had someone like you during those times it would have just been so kind of helpful um, to not just know that someone else has been through it, but also someone who's gone through it has the wealth of information and the professional knowledge um, as well. And to, to, for signposting purposes, mm-hmm. for building her own confidence, for empowering her, like you say, mm-hmm. um, I think that would have been, you know, invaluable. Um, so another thing I wanted to just talk about slightly, I remembered it whilst you were talking um was about it's it's totally slipped my mind um i'm gonna come back to it shortly but um you've got a youtube channel you've got an instagram your instagram is the name of your your organization which is apparent Apparent pathway um so i've been i've been having a look at some of your instagram uh content as well um, so, you know, that's, I think for anyone who is interested, that's a great place to start and then leading on to your other resources yes. um, and, you know, getting in contact with the organisation as well. Um, oh, gosh, it was, ah, this is it. It was about rites of passage and because you were talking about parents and how they see their children's lives. And I always think, obviously, you know, I'm not a parent myself, but 
I've got lots of kids right, who I look after and teach and young people as well who I look after. But I always think, you know, you, you, you kind of, you just believe that your children have these rites of passage that you've been through yourself, that they will go through themselves. And, and for some parents, um, you know, those things can be different. Those experience or those rites of passage can be different or they may need to do something a little bit different to facilitate those things. So, um, you know, so how is that, has that, do that, does that kind of thing come up? I mean, what, as you're talking, what I think about is that there is an expectation mm. that if you have special educational mm-hmm. needs label, mm. your pathway is seen that you go in a certain direction. Yeah. So like my personal experience was that when, we were looking at like colleges and open days we would have conversations and they would engage with us and they'll talk about the course but the second that you mentioned that actually um you know my son's on you know special educational needs then it would be like ah and then there's an expectation that perhaps oh try this or try that that firstly isn't his choice Mm. and also that's not you know in terms of his ambitions that is not some you know that's not necessarily a direction that Mm. he would like to go Mm. on so there is a lot of um assumptions and expectations that their particular pathway is to go down this particular direction Mm. because Mm. they have this label or this particular Mm. condition Mm -hmm. or they're on this particular register Mm. and as a parent being empowered to actually take on some judgments if you do choose something that is not preferable Mm -hmm. or expected can be quite Mm -hmm. difficult so that is really something uh, you know a situation where you can stay empowered to make sure that that happens Mm -hmm. and for example mentioning um there are many young people that have conditions where they're the way they function doesn't necessarily um, suit a particular like policy within the school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have a condition, but that's where the gray area of it doesn't um, abide with their mm-hmm. behavior policy, mm-hmm. which leads them down the route of a possible exclusion. Mm-hmm. And for many young people, they may spend some time away from school because they're waiting for the right school to appear or you know they're waiting with those waiting lists that you mentioned mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. which gives them long like a lot of time out of school yeah. and this impacts their you know employment mm-hmm. it you know what it looks like mm-hmm. um for them going forward mm-hmm. their self-esteem mm-hmm. you know what you know what are their prospects mm-hmm. because of this which has got nothing to do with them mm-hmm. but the system mm-hmm. and unfortunately you know For some, it may hinder their progress, Mm. but that's where parents can come in and ensure that, well, actually, yes, this may be the case, but I would like to look into this or I would like to guide the pro, you know, the process in a way that this happens and my child gets to experience this instead. So, yeah. Brilliant. It's been amazing talking to you, actually. I feel like I've learned so much and I think there's so much more to kind of engage with and and learn and I would recommend you know people kind of looking at your resources but also reaching out so how would if somebody he 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 felt that your service would be helpful for them how would they make contact or reach out to you would it be through your website or 
yeah visit my website and um, send me an email um mm. yeah and then website? we can uh, so it is apparentpathway.com okay. um oh. so yeah and uh yeah just get in contact with me and we can um yeah have a discovery call and we can look at what the current situation and if it's something that i can support you with i'll be happy to wonderful okay that's the close of our show thank you so much brenda it's been an absolute pleasure and um i feel you know like i've gained so much myself from uh, having this conversation with you and i'm sure our listeners and viewers would have done the same so again thank you so much and um so it's www.apparentpathway.com brilliant okay thank you for listening everybody uh, so um, this has been Planet Diaspora, sixth episode, uh, neurodiversity, uh, support and mentoring. I've been your host, Sandra Volset, and we've been talking to the lovely Brenda Biko in this episode. Okay, thank you everybody for listening to the sixth episode of Planet Diaspora, um, which has been about neurodiversity support and mentoring uh, with our lovely guest Brenda Biko from Apparent Pathway um, please do subscribe uh, share and comment and also be aware that we are available on iTunes Spotify Anchor Google Play and you can watch the episode on YouTube thank you so much We've also got an Instagram, which is uh, planet.diaspora. Uh, and our Facebook is Planet Diaspora as well. So uh, do reach out, do follow us and share and yeah, enjoy um, your holiday and happy Christmas to those who celebrate. <laughs>